Thank you, guys. Good morning. It's good to see you all here today. I mean, it'd be slow if no one showed up. That's just, just practically, I'm glad y'all are here. Um, hey, Anit, speaking of people who are here, uh, one of the things we want to make sure we do, because we've, we've learned over the, over the years, certainly at times, that, that we often will have missionaries who, for example, are on furlough or, or things like that, and they've, just, they've come to spend a Sunday with us if you know that that's going to happen, if you know that we're going to have some missionaries or workers or, or, or other servants in the gospel who are going to be in our midst, we'd love to know about it so that we can recognize them and pray for them and, and point them out. And that's worth a couple minutes out of, uh, out of the sermon, I think, easily. So um, this morning, was, I'm introducing uh, Eleazar and uh, Jacqueline. Jacqueline? That's right. See, it says Jacqueline is what it says, but, you know, that's not how you pronounce it because we're not all from East Texas. Um, I know that's a shock. Perucci, and uh, they are, um, they're missionaries with Crossover Global, and they're here um, for a little while making new friends, and, and um, they taught in um, the class, in the John Keeling's class, the verse-by-verse class. Many of you were probably there this morning, and, uh, and so we want to be praying for them. If, that's, if you are looking for missionaries to get connected to and get to know better, um, you can come and ask us afterwards and, and or get connected to them. They're over here. Wave, guys. There you go. Hunt them down. Also, so you will know, Mark and Sandy Anderson, who, uh, who we know well in our church, are headed out to uh, Nederland, Texas for disaster relief this week. So anybody praying for them. Um, the Farrells are heading to Georgia, um, not the state, the country, um, this week. And, um, and also, Doug Foreman let, us know, let me know that his son um, literally got onto the mission field and within the first couple of hours had to have an appendectomy. So uh, he said, please just pray for him as... Um, he said, the good news is it didn't happen on the 10-hour flight. Um, it happened right after he landed. So I guess, thank God for the small graces, right? So I want to pray for, uh, want to pray for these guys and uh, for others who are, who are living this out. Father, thank you for those who are sent and, uh, and who go. And Lord, I know that, um, that all of it is equal parts. Um, we, we go, we are sent um, so people can hear and can know the truth and so, Lord, um, I pray for these um, who are here with us, who are heading out, who are working in different ways in the mission fields. Um, Lord, we lift them up to you. And, Lord, I know there are plenty of others. There are others in the room um, who have family members and friends. Um, there are probably others here who are between uh, mission journeys. And so, Lord, um, I pray that you would pour out your grace and blessings on them. Thank you, Father. And I pray that their time with us is encouraging. Um, guide them in your son's name. Amen. Um, all right, so I'm going to read the passage today. It won't be up on the screen. I just want you to listen to it. Um, and, uh, and what we're reading today, what we're going to be looking in today is from John 18. Um, so if you remember the, the Jewish leadership, they have gotten Jesus, they've arrested him, they have bound him. Um, the Jewish leadership has already uh, kind of grilled him. Um, he gave them on a platter something that they could now find him guilty of. They bring him before Pilate. They wake up poor Pontius Pilate in the middle of the night and, and to ask him to make a judgment um, he asks, he, he tells them like, I don't care, go do what you want to. And they say, but we want to kill him and we're not allowed to kill him. And which all of a sudden raises the stakes greatly. And so Pilate says, fine. Okay. So that's where we are. So it says in John 18, so Pilate entered his headquarters again and he called Jesus to, and said to him, are you the King of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Apparently it is going to be on the screens, by the way. Um, your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. So what have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting 
that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I am king. For this purpose I was born. For this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? So you, you've been around. We, you've watched the news. You know these concepts. You know the concept of, uh, of a snowflake, right? Or of safe zones or trigger phrases, microaggressions, stuff like that. You all are all familiar with all this? Um, I have a few that I want to make sure you guys know about. Um, one is the word fair. Uh, my children know you can, nothing is quick, more, more quickly trigger a 30-minute lecture than the word fair. Um, I, that's a trigger phrase for me. Um, another one is expectations. I have whole lessons about it. Some of you have heard that. Um, the word balance sets me off every time. It's a trigger word for me. Needs. Anytime somebody uses the word need, it's, there's a lecture that's going to follow. It's just, it's just the way that it works. Sorry. What I realized in reading through, months ago, reading through the book of John was realizing this phrase, what is truth, is a trigger phrase for me. I mean, it was immediately like, I know where I will be camping on that Sunday, uh, because that phrase to me is a phenomenal phrase, that anyone would ever utter this question. Um, it's fascinating to me that anyone would go there. Um, I, don't, I, I almost can't wrap my brain around it, but I also know that I'm weird. Um, I know that I'm strange. And so I've learned over the years as we brought in multiple consultants at different times for the staff to engage with the staff, pretty much you can count on the fact that the strange one is me. Um, the one that's, that doesn't think like normal people is me. And so I know like other people may read that and go like, man, what a great question. I read that and think, what? Well, why would anyone who has a, two brain cells rubbing together, why would they ask that type of a question? I mean, here's a good question. What is true? That would be a cool question. Which thing is true? I like that question. What is truth? You don't know? That's fascinating to me. So I'm going to build on that when we get there. Okay, so the Jews are intent on killing this man, and, and Pilate now knows it, so Pilate's not interested in anything else they have to say. Why would he bother? He knows what they're going to say now. Pilate doesn't need to hear from them anymore. We now know, we know the other gospels, that they're saying that Jesus was leading an insurrection. John doesn't focus on this, but the other gospels emphasize the fact that what they were telling Pilate was that this man is claiming to be the king of the Jews, and not just the king of the Jews, he claims he's a king over Caesar, and that he wants to overthrow Caesar. Okay? So that's why Pilate would even care. What difference does it make to him if somebody's wandering around claiming to be the king of the Jews? He doesn't care. But okay, fine. If he's claiming that he wants to overthrow Rome, then we'll talk. Because that now is a Roman problem. Um, Paul pointed out, um, um, not Apostle Paul, Paul McKenzie, um, this morning. And we've, we've all been trying to wrap our brains around how to have some sympathy on Pontius Pilate. I'll just be honest with you. We've all been trying that. Uh, John has, I have. And, and Paul said this morning, he pointed out, Pilate's world was a world of lies. Everything in Pilate's world was about lies. Here he is, the Roman governor of Judea, and everyone is lying to everyone in Judea. And he doesn't want to be here. No one wanted to be the governor of Judea. No one wanted to try to be the one who controlled the Jews. Um, we're going, I'm going teaching a class on Daniel right now, and going through the history, let me just tell you, if you made it through 20 years without the Jews rising up against you, it doesn't matter who you were. That was a shock. 
They just aren't a people who are led well, and so are easily. And so, no, Pilate didn't want to be there. No one wanted to be there. And so his world is full of lies. It struck me as thinking about that. Like, ask, ask a therapist how shocked they are to find out about some horrible thing going on in someone's life. Or better yet, ask a policeman or a lawyer. I mean, you, you know policemen and lawyers. Like, what is their view of human nature? It's not good. It's, it's, and, and the only thing I think would be worse would be a judge. It's always funny to me when I have people in the office going, I don't want to, if we go to court, then, then my ex is going to say this and the judge is going to believe them. And I'm going to say, you think so? Because I don't think judges believe anything anyone says. I think they think we're all liars. Because all day long, that's all they deal with. That's Pilate's world. He's in the Roman world. It is a world of lies. And he's having, they're trying to live the Roman world in Judea. Nothing, everyone's lying to him 100% of the time. And so here the people of, these people have come, hey, we got this guy, um, you helped us arrest him, we want him dead. Fine. Bunch of liars, brought in a liar to me, so let's talk. So Pilate enters his headquarters again, and he called Jesus and said to him, and by the way, I picture this as just totally, so Pilate's woken up in the middle of the night, he's probably in his night clothes and his robe, he flops down on a chair and he's like, so what's the deal? Are you king of the Jews or what? I mean, like, he doesn't care about any of this. In all four Gospels, by the way, all four Gospels record these as the first words that Pilate said to Jesus. Surely this is a question of delusion. He doesn't mean, are you the king of the Jews? He means, so you think you're the king of the Jews, huh? This is, this is the social worker who, who has someone who comes in who thinks they're Napoleon Bonaparte, right? Oh, so you think you're Napoleon. Tell me about that, general, Right? Uh, I had a friend, my friend's mom was a social worker. She, tells, she tell, used to tell the story of having a guy in her waiting room who she had been working with for a while who thought he was, ironically, Jesus Christ. And then she had a new client sitting in her office and she's just now meeting and he says, well, she says, why are you here? And he says, well, people told me I had to come talk with you because they don't believe me when I say I'm Jesus Christ. And she was like, have I got someone for you to meet? <laughs> I guess this will be a great, let's, let's do a little group work here, right? That's... I don't think that's actually what she did. But ironically, here's the question being asked of Jesus Christ. So you think you're the king of the Jews, huh? Now, Jesus is so funny in the way he's engaging with this. This was the rumor. And keep in mind, what the Jewish people said they wanted was a new king. They had no love for the Herods. They hated the Romans. They wanted someone to come in and kick out the Romans and declare themselves the king of the Jews. That's actually what they wanted. The problem is Jesus isn't doing it the way they want. So we're going, to, we're going to come back to that because that continues to be a theme as well. So Jesus answered, did you say this of your own accord or did others tell you to say it about me? Now, don't you love he answers a question with a question? That's infuriating. But so Jesus asked a question back. I think this is Jesus' way of asking this question. What do you mean when you say those words? Do you even know what you're asking? Are you just parroting what someone else told you to say? Like you just asked me if I'm the king of the Jews. What does that phrase even mean to you, Pontius Pilate? And Pilate's answer is, am I a Jew? Would I, would I know this phrase? Why do I care? I don't care. Am I a Jew? No. Why am I awake now? Your people woke me up. Your nation woke me up. Your chief priest is the one who's turned you over to me. You tell me what's going on. This is not, you don't ask me questions, I ask you questions. Am I a Jew? No, I don't care what's going on here. Just tell me what you did. 
What is it? The other Gospels point out the fact that Pontius Pilate is going to comment on the fact, don't you know I can have you killed or keep you alive? Jesus is going to take issue with that, by the way. We'll talk about that another week. You think I care? This is your problem with your people, your nation. Notice Jesus' answer. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Do you see how Jesus' answer fits? Now, there's a sense in which anytime Jesus has a conversation with somebody, he's talking past them. That is always happening. Jesus is always answering the question he knows they should have asked. That if they'd known what they were talking about, this is what you would have asked. They don't ever ask it because they don't ever know what they're talking about. But Jesus answers it anyway. But notice the question. Your own nation and chief priest delivered you over to me. My nation? No, sir. Not my nation. My kingdom? Mm -mm. Not my kingdom. My chief priests? Oh, no, no. I don't work for them. They're not my chief priests. You know how I know? If they were my people, they would have been fighting. Now, by the way, somewhere in history, days down the road, years down the road, the apostle Peter heard that Jesus said this. When you think about this phrase, if my people, if they were my kingdom, they would be fighting for me. Who does that make you think of immediately? Well, Peter. I've always imagined Peter someday hearing that Jesus said this and going like, yes, yes, I knew I was sort of right. I got, he's the one guy who fought. Like, and Jesus is like, yeah, but I mean, okay, not the right time for it, right? But this is a, I would not be delivered over the Jews. My kingdom is not of this world. You're missing it. I mean, you're real close, Pilate, but you're missing it. This, is, this isn't my kingdom. I was trying to think of this phrase in the first service, and I was so afraid to try because I was like, this is going to end up being foul or something. But it turns out it's not. In other words, this, this is Jesus going, not my circus, not my monkeys, right? Like, I have nothing to do. These are not my people. This is not my nation. I have a kingdom. It ain't them. Isn't that wild? So Jesus is answering very clearly back what he's saying. Then Pilate said to him, oh, so you are a king. So he's quick, right? Even in the middle of the night. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate says, oh, so you are a king. That's probably, again, delusional, like laughable. Oh, so you think you're a king. Says this man bound up, already bleeding, standing in front of me. Right, you look like a king. So you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. The very declaration that Pilate would have been making. The irony is Pilate's asking as a question. So you're a king. I was born for people to say that right there. I was born for people to recognize that truth. That's why I came into the world. I was born and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to me. Oh, so you are a king. And he says, am I a king? Well, sort of. Or, or maybe even, so you're a king? Well, brother, you only know the half of it. How do I explain to you, Pontius Pilate, that you're right, but not in the way you think? How do I explain this to you? I was born to be king. I was a king. I was born to be a king. I came into the world to be king, to bear witness to the truth. 
He clarifies here that birth means come into the world. That's what he's saying here. I came into the world to announce the kingdom of heaven. You remember that's what Jesus preached? That's when Jesus went around the synagogues preaching, he didn't preach, you know, everybody bow your head and close your eyes and ask me into your heart. That's not what he did, right? He said, I'm here to declare to you that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is here. Jesus spent almost all of his time teaching this concept, the kingdom of heaven. He has spent a lot of time teaching about his kingdom. He taught about its economy. It's a kingdom where two mites is worth more than a bucket of gold. He teaches about the ethics. It's a kingdom in which you serve, in, not to be served, but to serve. He taught about its nobility. In the kingdom of heaven, the nobility, the least, is the greatest. The servant is the greatest of all. He's teaching about the kingdom. These are the traits of his kingdom. You want to know about my kingdom? This is what it's about. And his kingdom is a kingdom of truth. That's what I'm king of. I'm not just king of a group of people. I'm not just king of a nation. I'm the king of the truth. Truth itself is my kingdom. That's my home turf. That's my stomping grounds. My kingdom is the kingdom of heaven, and I am bringing this kingdom to earth. Remember, Jesus is speaking the truth in a way that people might can understand it. Remember when he was talking to the chief priests and the Pharisees, he cited the passage that they all knew from Daniel about being the son of man. Now he's talking to Pontius Pilate, and catch this. Jesus uses the terminology of a political leader who's in a foreign land. You think Pontius Pilate had any way to identify with that concept? Being a political leader in a foreign land? Yeah, that's Pontius Pilate's life. And Pontius Pilate lives in a world full of lies, and Jesus is saying, yeah, but I'm a king, and my kingdom is truth. It's, it's fascinating. It is clear in the Gospels that Pilate is fascinated by Jesus. But it's the middle of the night. He didn't have much time. Jesus has spoken a lot about this. I have come to expand my kingdom. I have come to rescue my citizens, and I've come to defeat my enemies. My enemies are the enemies of truth. My citizens are the people who follow the truth. I've come to expand my kingdom, my kingdom of truth. And Pilate says, yeah, what is truth? What a defeated thing to ask. Maybe that's hard, what's hard for me to wrap my brain around it. It's such a defeated question. Really? Yeah, what is truth? And I get it. It's not that I'm unaware of what's going on in someone's heart. Pontius Pilate's not the first person or the last person to ask this question. What is truth? Conceptually, what truth is, is truth are the things that are accurate, that are right, and they transcend the human race. The things that are accurate and that are right, objectively, disinterestedly, externally, if we all got together and voted against them, they would still be truth. They're truth whether we know them or believe them or like them. We know there is such a thing as truth because it is impossible to believe there isn't such a thing as truth. The quick version that I got to experience when I was at A&M, now in like a 91, 92, 
was a philosophy professor who the first day of class said, everybody in the room, how many of you believe there is such a thing as truth? Day one, freshman philosophy, and only about half the class raises their hand. That's at A&M like 20-something years ago. Conservative school way back. Only about half the class believed in the concept of truth. I'm sure it's less now. Because for the rest of you, any of you willing to talk with me about the fact that you don't believe there's such a thing as truth? One young man raised his hand. Good. All right, son. So you think there's no such thing as truth? None at all. No. There's no true statements. None. No absolutes that I can state. None. Do you think in the past, the great religious leaders, Jesus, Muhammad, Buddha, Moses, any of them, they had a truth that we've lost? No. How about the great philosophers, Socrates, Plato, all the, no, none of them. And we have none now. No, sir. None. I don't believe in it. How about in the future? Maybe, maybe alien contacts, supercomputers, uh, artificial intelligence. They will come up with something that is true. No, sir. And the professor is like, so let me make sure I get, you're getting this already. The student's a freshman. He's a freshman in college. Cut him some slack. But he goes, so in other words, son, I understand you to say that there never has been, are none, and never will be any statements of truth. He's like, yes, sir. He goes, well, that's one. What you just said is that to say there are no truths is either a true or false statement. If it's true, then it is by definition false. If it's false, then by definition it's true. You, can't, you cannot believe in a self-contradictory statement. It's not possible. There is such a thing as truth. There has to be. It's absolutely required. If that's the case, if there's such a thing as truth... What do we, will we accept the concept of what that implies? If there's such a thing as truth, doesn't that mean something? Doesn't that mean there could be such a thing as wrong? There could be such a thing as error? There are facts and there is fiction. There are rights and wrongs, maybe even goods and bads. That these, these things are for real. Where did we start walking away from that. Well, people always have at one degree or another. Maybe one of the most honest people about walking away from the concept of truth was a guy named Aldous Huxley. Early 1900s, he wrote the book Brave New World. Many of you probably read on assignment in high school or college. Aldous Huxley once wrote about the importance of meaninglessness. How important that was to the atheist movement of the early 1900s. Um, this was a lot more honest atheism back then than now. They acknowledge that if there is no creator, there is no God, then there is no meaning beyond my own will. And therefore, at the objective level, the only truth is meaninglessness. That's what they embraced. They didn't just acknowledge it. They desired it. Listen to what he wrote in an article called Ends and Means in 1937 for myself. As no doubt for most of my contemporaries, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation. The liberation we desired was simultaneously liberation from a certain political and economic system and liberation from a certain system of morality. We objected to the morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. We objected to the political and economic system because it was unjust. And he was being honest. We, we objected to these things, therefore the meaninglessness of atheism was vitally important to us because we didn't like the politics and we didn't like the morality, therefore they must not be true. Now I will draw your attention to the fact that a man who is proclaiming meaninglessness also has the word unjust. Where is the standard for that? 
If there is no meaning in anything, where do you even get the concept of justice, especially external justice? I will tell you, it comes from the fact that there is such a thing as truth, and everyone knows that. Everyone intuitively knows it. Everyone, everyone lives as though some things are true and some things are false. And when I say everyone, I mean 100% of people. Everyone does. It is not possible to live as though all things are false. It's just not, it's not even vaguely possible. What about today? Well, I wanted to take a minute because, and I wrote this a little while back, but it seemed to me important to reference a couple of high-profile Christians or, or former Christians, alleged Christians, I'm not sure what terminology to put here, have published their new views in the last few months. So I want to I read to you their concept, their, their engagement with this question, what is truth? One is Josh Harris, the author of I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Um, and I don't, I don't, if I say something funny, I don't mean to mock these guys. I, I don't mean to do that. Um, I'm going to mock some of the things that they say. Um, I'm hopeful that these are brothers in Christ who will continue a life of repentance and return to the truth. Um, that's between them and God and, and the thousands of Christians who have reached out to them. But here's what Josh Harris wrote. My heart is full of gratitude. I wish you could see all the messages people sent me after the announcement of my divorce. Um, is it too flippant to say apparently dating isn't the only thing he's kissed goodbye? There are expressions of love, though they are saddened or even strongly disapprove of the decision. I am learning that no group has the market cornered on grace. This week I've received grace from Christians, atheists, evangelicals, ex-evangelicals, straight people, LGBTQ people, and everyone in between. Of course, there, also, there have also been strong words of rebuke from religious people. While not always pleasant, I know they are seeking to love me. There have also been spiteful, hateful comments that angered and hurt me. The information that was left out of that announcement is that I have undergone a massive shift in regards to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me that there is a different way to practice faith, and I want to remain open to this, but I'm not there now. Martin Luther said the entire life of believers would be repentance. There's beauty in the sentiment regardless of your view of God. I've lived in repentance for the past several years, repenting of my self-righteousness, my fear-based approach to life, the teaching of my books, my views of women in the church, my approach to parenting, to name a few. But I specifically want to add to this list now, to the LGBTQ plus community, I want to say that I'm sorry for the views that I taught in my books and as a pastor regarding sexuality. I regret standing against marriage equality for not affirming you and your place in the church and for any ways that my writing and speaking contributed to a culture of exclusion and bigotry. I hope you can forgive me. To my Christian friends, I am grateful for your prayers. Don't take it personally if I don't immediately return calls. I can't join in your mourning. I don't view this moment negatively. I feel very much alive and awake and surprisingly hopeful. I believe that with my sister, I believe with my sister Julian that all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. Um, I'm challenged by somebody citing Martin Luther in their step away from the faith. That's one that I'm having a hard time necessarily engaging with. But here, this is, this is the atheism of disappointment in the truth. See, the truth is disappointing. It, it doesn't shift for us. It doesn't change for us. And we don't like that. 
This is, this is the same atheism, the same denial of Christ of the very Pharisees and religious teachers who wanted a king, but not the type of king that Jesus was. See, that's the error that we all make when we say we want someone to lead us. I want my boss to lead me. I want my pastor to lead me. I want my husband, that's the common one I hear, I want my husband to lead me. No, not like that, like this. Okay, so you want to be the leader then. I want you to lead, but I want it to look like this. And I want to evaluate how good a job you're doing. See if you're checking all my boxes as you lead me. See, God's, God's not good at that game. And so the truth of the matter is what happens is that when we get disappointed with the way, the type of king that God is, if we're not willing to follow that king, the king of truth, then our disappointment is going to lead us to a version of atheism. Was it God who made the promises that if you just follow these steps, you'll have a happy marriage and a great series of relationships and everything will go well? No, that was Josh Harris who promised that. That was not God. In his scripture, injustice, evil, unfairness, Jesus promised them, they are promised all through scripture for the Christian, all over the place. If you just follow these simple steps, then your marriage will be pretty much perfect, blissful. No, it won't. Let me just help you out there. No, it won't. That's not how this works. It isn't, there isn't a, there's not mad, it's just magical thinking. If I say these right words, if I do these right things, if I date in this certain new, this new inspired way, then all of a sudden everything will be perfect. No, there's truth in what the man wrote and there is falsehood in what the man wrote years ago. Jesus in chapter 14, remember this just a few weeks ago, promised trouble for, uh, for believers. Promised it, guaranteed it. It's going to be there. Submitting to the truth doesn't require us to be jerks or legalists. It does not require us to even like the truth. I can submit to truth that I don't like. I do it all the time. I would like to fly. I mean, just like start floating suddenly. I try it all the time. Don't tell anybody that, but I do. I mean, all the time, I'm like, surely if I think hard enough about it, I will just start floating. Just deny the rules. I'm, I'm not kidding. I actually do that sometimes. So. Surely that's the way this works. It does not require me to promise anything other than Jesus requires, than the gospel requires. In fact, it's an error for me to promise anything from God that God himself does not promise. We try hard not to do that. How about this other one, the Hillsong writer and singer Marty Sampson? Many of you know his songs and materials. About the same time, here's what he wrote. Time for some real talk. I'm genuinely losing my faith and it doesn't bother me. Like what bothers me now is nothing. I'm so happy now, so at peace with the world. It's crazy. There's a, this is a soapbox moment, so here I go. How many preachers fall? Many. No one talks about it. How many miracles happen? Not many. <laughs> I like that. I mean, one would be, anyway. <laughs> no one talks about it. Why is the Bible full of contradictions? No one talks about it. How can God be love, yet send four billion people to a place all because they don't believe? No one talks about it. Christians can be the most judgmental people on the planet. They can also be some of those beautiful and loving people, but it's not for me. I'm not in anymore. I want genuine truth. Not the I just believe it kind of truth. Science keeps piercing the truth of every religion. Lots of things help people change their lives, not just one version of God. 
Got so much more to say, but for me, I keep it real. Unfollow if you want. I've never been about living my life for others. Hmm. All I know is what's true to me right now, and Christianity just seems to me like another religion at this point. I could go on, but I won't. Love, won't. Love and forgive, absolutely. Be kind, absolutely. Be generous and do good things for others, absolutely. Some things are good no matter what you believe. Let the rain fall, the sun will come up tomorrow. This is the atheism of ignorance. There's no way around this. And I mean that in the technical sense. I don't know him. I am sure he's a great guy. But this, you could not more clearly express ignorance than with something like this. I love the idea that, for example, God, God is allowing people to go to hell and no one's talking about it. Really? I'm under the impression that there's like 10 million books about that. I feel like every single one of these topics is something that people talk about nonstop and have for thousands of years. These are the very things human beings have been wrestling with. It's not that we don't talk about it. We don't talk about the fact that pastors fall. Yes, we do. Seems to me like we talk about it all the time. Maybe Josh is just hanging around with, I mean, Marty's hanging around with the wrong people. Maybe he's hanging out with people who aren't talking about these things. That breaks my heart. Incidentally, the immediate response to this was for apologists and Christian leaders around the world to contact him and go, I mean, do you want to talk about them? Because we're all talking about them all the time, pretty much. So this, was, this boggles my mind that, you would, that people would say this. I'm looking for the type, the genuine type of truth. So am I. Not just the I just believe it kind of truth. Amen. So what are you doing about that? I'm walking away from my faith. What? Is that's the correct answer? I have questions, so I'm just going to close off all the questions? That makes no sense to me. This was, this was just sad to me. Not sad, I mean, it's sad for me for him, but it's sad for me that there's a version of Christianity that exists like this. And that even acknowledges, I don't live my life for other people. I don't know if that's what he meant. If he meant like, I don't live according to other people's opinions of me, which, okay, that's fine. But so, for example, no one talks about miracles. Here's a cool thought. There's a few books about miracles. There's one called Miracles by C.S. Lewis. <laughs> There's one called Miracles by Craig Keener. I mean, Google it. Look up on Amazon. Lee Strobel has two books about miracles. I've not read his books. I'm sure they're great. Lee Strobel, everything Lee Strobel writes is pretty good, right? It's not hard to find some of this stuff out. In today's world, ignorance is, is more inexcusable than ever. Now, the problem may be you don't know where to look, which would go back to the correct question that Pontius Pilate should have asked, which of these is truth? That would have been great. But what is truth? No, we, we have some pretty good concepts. All these contradictions in the Bible that he's worried about, no one talks about that. Now, again, I'm not patting us on the back, but I'm pretty sure that's how our sermon began last week. We talk about those type of stuff all the time, and I think most many people do. It's not all that rare. But there's a great book, Why Are There Differences in the Gospels? Recently published, there's thousands of pages about perceived or even sometimes actual contradictions in what we have that we call Scripture. Every generation, this is the one that gets me. Um, some of you will have been in Christian long enough Every, every generation of Christians, every few years, maybe, maybe I should say it this way, every few minutes, a new book comes out in Christian publishing that has some version of the title, 
hard questions people ask and their answers. Yes? I used to collect them. My aunt had hundreds of them. She was, she was into apologetics before it was cool. And so there's this, all these, now some of them are terrible, no doubt. Some are really just bad. But there's great material out there. You type in Christian answers to hard questions. You, you, you will find all kinds of books. You look for a trustworthy author like Dr. William Lane Craig, one of the greatest Christian thinkers alive, maybe ever. He has a book called Hard Questions, Real Answers. Guess what kind of stuff is in there? Things like contradictions in Scripture, things like God sending people to hell. There are, those are in there to be read and discussed and engaged with. This is a big part of what I want you to hear from this. The idea that science and religion are at issue with each other, that is just a straw man statement. A straw man argument is when you bring up an argument that's not a real argument, and then you push it over and go like, look what I just did. I just shoved over somebody. That's just a straw man. You didn't shove over a real thing. There are people doing all types of research on these questions. What I would tell you is we serve a God of truth. Empirical studies are seeking after of truth. Biblical studies are seeking after of truth. You get that they're both seeking the same stuff, which means when our scientific endeavors, when empirical evidence, when those seem to come in contradiction with biblical teaching, our understanding of biblical teaching, what that means is that at least one of them is wrong. Sometimes both. I'm not saying science is wrong. If it's done perfectly, it would always be right. And I'm not saying scripture is wrong. It's not ever going to be wrong. But our understanding of it can be wrong. If you were honest with yourself, that's happened to you dozens of times in your life already that you've realized, oh, I was wrong about that. It happened to me just two weeks ago at a, at a theology class when I'm teaching something and a lady in the back asks a question. I was like, yeah, what you just said is actually right. <laughs> Oops. It happens all the time. This inoculation effect is so dangerous. We get, as as, as um, Billy Graham once said, we get just enough of Jesus to protect us from him. Just enough to inoculate us from him. I was afraid of cultural Christianity in Tyler. I found a much deeper evil in Tyler, and that is congregational Christianity. It's much more scary and much more difficult to walk away from. How do you know you're a Christian? Because I'm part of a congregation. I'm the second, third, ninth, twelfth generation part of a congregation. That's how it makes me a Christian. Yeah, yeah. You know that fellowship hall? My uncle donated the money to build that. That's how I know I'm a Christian. Let me just tell you. I was talking with Reed Livesay about this between the services. If you've connected anything to Jesus, if you've made Jesus dependent on anything else in your life, if Jesus is dependent on your marriage, when your marriage fails, your faith will fail. Don't make Jesus dependent on your marriage or your job or your politics. God forbid, your pastor or your church. Do not make Jesus dependent on those things. Certainly not your own brilliance. Grace, truth, and love. Emotion needs substance. Desire needs foundation. Faith needs truth. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He stood broken, bloody, seemingly powerless before Pontius Pilate. He was leading the world to a place called the place of the skull. And he did so as the king of truth. As he led us to that place, here is truth. God loves you. He sent his son to rescue you. This is the truth. The prince of peace. And the king of truth came for us. And that is the ultimate place to rest. 
to find comfort. It's why we're not afraid to engage in those conversations. You remember a few years ago on Easter, I threw out there, I dropped, I threw out the gauntlet. I'd been trying to get in any of the atheist or, sorry, I have to do quotes, free thinker groups in Tyler or in Smith County or in East Texas to let me come and just do a Q&A with them. I really was trying to understand their way of thinking. None of them would let me come. Not they wouldn't invite me. They would not let me come. That's their free thinking groups. They, didn't want, they wouldn't let me come. So someone threw out, let, the, let a, a nationally known atheist, a guy named David Smalley, and so he and, I, he and I talked on his podcast a couple of times. We actually hosted him here and did Q&A here. We had lots of fun with that. That, that went out to hundreds of thousands of people, pre- presumably many of them atheists, many of them atheists in this region, whatever. Anybody want to hazard a guess at how many invitations I've gotten since? None. Let me just help you out. If this is, if, when you face these questions, when you face these challenges, when these questions feel like something you want to hide behind, I, I just want to encourage you, let not your hearts be troubled. You may not know the answer. I may not know the answer. But there are answers. And we can dig them up together if we need to. But we can be confident, calm, at peace, not needing to be stressed and anxious about this. God has it handled. He is the king of truth. We can rest in that knowledge. We spend our lives studying, which I think we ought to. We can spend our lives learning, but in the end, what we rest in is the fact that he gets it even when we don't. And he reveals all kinds of cool things to us. That is our dream and our vision and our hope when it comes to truth. Then once you get that, then you can learn to speak the truth in love. And that's true maturity. We pray that God will conform our hearts to his truth. Let's pray. Father, I, I am so grateful that there is such a thing as truth and that you have hardwired this universe according to your own nature, the nature of truth being undeniable. God, if there is such a thing as truth, and there is, then there's lots of things that flow from that. I thank you that your proclamation is that you are the king. And that your son on earth said that he came to proclaim the truth. Not only that he is the king of truth, but that he is the truth. The way, the truth, and the life. Father, I thank you that we can rest in this. That we don't have to be afraid. That even when we face trials and troubles difficulties, anxiety and worries, panic and fear, we can fall back on the truth that there is such a thing as truth and that you are that truth. Guide us, Lord, into knowing the truth to conform our hearts to your truth. This is our prayer. Amen.